Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Mizzou Sports Podcast, presented by the Columbia Daily Tribune. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Mizzou Sports Podcast. My name is Eric Blum, breaking down Mizzou sports with you every week here on the show. Joining me, as always, is the Tribune's Langston Newsom. How are you doing, Langston? Doing absolutely fantastic. How about yourself? Doing okay on Wednesday the 13th, coming back. Uh, after a kind of a really busy and jam-filled episode, we ha- don't have really too much else to talk about this week. It feels very, very different compared to last week. Missouri men's basketball did return today to practice after... I guess a little under a week with a COVID pause, two games pause. They're slated to now play at Texas A&M, have not played since the last time we came to you with that loss to Mississippi State. Uh, women's basketball also hasn't played in the meantime. They played Arkansas on January 3rd, have not played because of pauses at Auburn and Vanderbilt. They play tomorrow night against at Ole Miss. And football's football. Nothing new on the D.C. search, although one of the candidates that we mentioned might have a chance at the job, Kevin Steele, joined the staff at Tennessee so he is out Langston what do you want to talk about uh I guess let's start with the national championship game and uh really what wasn't a contest at all and and my biggest takeaway from just seeing Alabama steamroll Ohio State was one I felt bad for Ohio State fans just for you know for a small second because they worked so hard not playing games because they only played six due to COVID-19 in the Big Ten schedule and things like that. But there were so many people invested in the Big Ten to making sure that Ohio State had its chance at getting to the playoff and potentially winning a championship. This was the team that was going to be able to do it. And then to watch them just be overmatched at pretty much every position against Alabama, for a second, you're just kind of sad. It's like this was their year. They uh, they got into politics. They went against you know, the coronavirus. They did everything to start this season back up for the Big Ten just to go out there and get slacked. And I was just watching that and thinking to myself, I hope it was all worth it. I hope it was worth it. I hope the people made money. The players didn't. Jalen Waddle was out there looking absolutely injured I, I i don't know if you were able to stomach watching him play and i was just like he's not going to see a dime from this and that's all i could really think about i, I wish they'd done what they did with landon dickerson because it didn't really make a difference like just trot him out there for the last play and just have him be the quarterback and just take the knee just like okay just have him in a little show like okay bye now i'm gonna go make millions in the nfl see see ya that, that's what i think should have happened but you're absolutely right and i'm glad i didn't see any articles coming out like who would have won the national title if coronavirus didn't affect the season it would have been Alabama. Like, let, let, let's be real. This was Alabama's title to lose. And, you know, you got – this is the Ohio State team who clearly beat the, beat the third best team in the country. A healthy Clemson with Trevor Lawrence clearly outclassed them and then got outclassed by Alabama themselves. No doubt about it. And my biggest takeaway kind of coming out of it is I'm glad 
Alabama and Ohio State right now got their chance to play in the national title game and I'm glad regardless of how it happened we got to the finish line and crossed it because there are some questions as to whether that can happen in college basketball I still think it will but it, it, it is just as much of a question as as it, and the concern is only growing I feel like as to whether that that will happen but my main takeaway from the Alabama Ohio State game was I don't think either of those teams will be in the title game next year that's my big takeaway and I don't think Clemson will be either so kind of interesting to see where the 2021 season goes but as of right now my prediction would not have clemson ohio state or alabama in next year's title game is that really just based off of just the amount of talent they're going to be losing to the nfl really kind of like an lsu this year where it's a re a, a retooling let's say you might have the five-star recruits but when you lose so much talent as those teams really kind of are it, it's going to be, you know easy to have a down year coming back from that I, I guess so. I mean, I, I hate to say it, but like, but, but like, even in my top five, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State would be three, four, and five. So it's not like they're dropping that far. Like, gonna have an LSU type of season where they're five and five at the end of the day, and they lose to Missouri. You know, not like that. I just think that there's two teams that just have less red flags going into the 2021 season. And right now, my preseason national championship pick is Oklahoma. And I know how facetious that kind of sounds, knowing what they've had the past couple of years, and just how even with the Kyler Murrays and the Baker Mayfields, they just find a way to lose. You know, and that, you know, the, at the end of the day, and they probably should have gotten better from that Baker Mayfield team uh, that just got absolutely, yeah, probably should have beat Georgia in that Rose Bowl game, but then Georgia should have beat Alabama in that national championship game three years ago. Um, but yes, in, in a sense, I just think that when you look at, I guess, Oklahoma's last 10 games and how that defense played, and they're getting everyone back and reinforcements, they just have very little holes. And just all the talent at Georgia coming back with a defense to match the offense. And JT Daniels is going to be there. I think that those got to be the top two teams in the country right now going into 2021. And that's why I, I can say that. So we'll see. I mean, it, it, it's kind of a pointless thing to talk about, really, because there were some predictions that said, well, Missouri can be a top 25 team next year. And some that also said, well, they're not in the top 50. So who knows? Yeah, it, it it is entirely too early, but you know some people love writing that column or having that you know piece come out right after the national championship game. I guess my question is for you: with the ratings being so severely down for this year's title game, I think it was eighteen point seven million less than uh, both of the semifinal games. Does this model? I, did you one? Did you enjoy the national title game? And then two: do you believe that? the college football playoff will continue to it's always going to make money but do you think ratings will continue to go down especially when you have these lopsided you know competitions against you know alabama insert anyone else well well i did enjoy it it's, it's a national championship game regardless and you know you need entertainment during a pandemic I, I i think what hurt ratings more than anything else is the lack of parity at the end of the day if it was a roll through game for name a random f uh, power five school that's has a nice uh, let's pick on michigan um let's let's say michigan lived up to expectations and then ran through wake forest like that i i think ratings are up it's just, it's just seeing nick saban again okay and then if they happen to have it it's ohio state who's had their fair share of fun i think the lack of parity is starting to hurt college football when you see the same teams over and over and over again there was no new teams who entered you know had their first time appearances there's only been one the last two years and that was lsu last year and the college football playoff i think what needs to be done is to reform around the college football playoff and having eight teams in it you have each winner of 
the their Power Five conference. The the conference championship winners automatically get in. The best team from the group of five, and the, and the at large two of anybody else, no matter who it is, get in. The quarterfinal rounds on campuses do one versus eight, two versus seven, three versus six, four versus five, and then you go into the New Year's six rotation like you like you're doing now. I think that lack of parity going into giving a team like a Cincinnati a shot would have skyrocketed ratings. I, I I'm never going to turn down more football, but I will say that one eight matchup would be pretty much unwatchable, especially okay. when your one would have been in Alabama this year. I think they're steamrolling literally anyone. Eight would have been Oregon, I think, this past year. Eight would have been no, um, no, that's wrong. Uh, no, that's actually right. Eight would have been Oregon. Yeah, and so I guess my fear for expanding the playoffs would have just been the same that I had for the NFL playoffs when you allow a team like the Bears in in that two-seven matchup against the Saints. It was a boring game. The Bears had no place, you know, being in the playoffs, and it wasn't competitive at all. So I guess you know, adding more teams, yeah, it would drum up the excitement until you actually watch the games and you see the the gap in talent. Well, when you have the one sixteen matchup in the NCAA tournament, it's kind of the same deal. But you look at two-seven of. I guess that would end up being Ohio State, Oklahoma. I think there's some interest there. 3-6 would have been um, – uh, sorry, that would have been Clemson, Oklahoma. 3-6 would have been Ohio State, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Ohio versus Ohio State, that would have been phenomenal. And then Texas A&M, Notre Dame, I think would have balanced that out completely in the other direction. But I agree with you. Alabama, Oregon would have been – let's see what Devontae Smith can do against a Pac-12 team. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. That's what that would have been. I, I agree with you there. But um, I think the lack – overall, the lack of parity and – just the indifference to wow another year another alabama title and this is the best team they've had per the competition i don't think this is the best team they've had i think this is probably the weakest national championship team we've had in a few years to be honest with you that defense could not stop joe burrow that defense could not stop you know a few other alabama teams i think the alabama team the two two attack viola team you know two three years ago we just mentioned beats this team so but per the competition, they were the right team at the right time in a COVID year. Uh, we'll go into our special guest now before we come back and talk about other stuff. Uh, I talked to former Tribune reporter Daniel Jones, former Missouri reporter. He was a special guest this week, and he kind of broke down what he's been up to since leaving the Tribune almost two years ago. So without further ado, here's my interview with Daniel Jones. Joining the Mizzou Sports Podcast this time is the former Tribune Mizzou football beat writer Danny Jones. How you doing, Danny? All right. How are you doing, Eric? I am doing well. Great to have you back on the podcast. I think for the first time in almost two years, you were the host up until about when you left the Tribune in March, April 2019. Just kind of give an intro to, for anyone who does not know who you are, give an intro to who you are. Yeah. Yeah, it was a long time ago that I was hosting the podcast. Um, But yeah, I used to work at the Tribune covering Mizzou football and before that Mizzou basketball and before that high school sports. So, uh, about two years ago now, almost two years ago, I um, went on to accept a new job in Washington, D.C. So, um, yeah, Eric, I know you've taken over the Mizzou beat for the trip and doing a great job. So happy to come back on the podcast, just like old times. I appreciate you coming on and uh, only learned from some great people. You, Cam, Hunter taught me, taught me a ton, no doubt about it. Uh, if you could reminisce a little bit about your just your days, maybe in Columbia and on the beat, what, what kind of stands out to you as you, look, as you look back on that time? Oh, man. Wow. Well, I went to school at Mizzou, too. Um, so there's, you know, I spent seven years in Columbia, four as a student, and then um, 
actually almost eight years. So, uh, you know, four years as a student and then almost another four years working at the Tribune. Um, so I kind of got to see Columbia from two different perspectives and they're very different. You know, the first four years was as a student and um, I grew up in Kansas City. It was the first time I lived anywhere but, but Kansas City. So, um, you know, getting to know Columbia and what makes it special and enjoying Mizzou sports as a fan, as a student, going to basketball games and football games. Um, my freshman year was 2012. So that year, the uh, basketball team, it was the first year under Frank Haith. Uh, you know, they were ranked in the top five in the country. They beat Kansas on Big Monday, um, you know, in that epic game at Mizzou Arena where Marcus Denman uh, went on a tear at the end of the game and, and erased a deficit. Uh, that was a, one of the most amazing sporting events I've ever witnessed. And, you know, that was my first year at Columbia. And then, you know, kind of transitioning from there and watching Mizzou football win two SEC East titles as a student, then uh, taking over the beat from some really uh, you know, talented writers. The Trib had has such a legacy of uh, great writers, and uh, especially ones that have covered Mizzou over the years. So, you know, it was a, a quite an honor to get a chance to do that, as I'm sure you understand now. And um, the teams that I covered weren't really spectacular by any stretch it was uh one year of kim anderson basketball which uh didn't go very well but there was a really cool moment in the sec tournament when kevin purrier hit a buzzer beater to beat auburn um one of the funnest games that i've covered just um you know a a ray of sunshine at the end of a pretty dark period of mizzou basketball history um and then uh there were some good moments covering two years of mizzou football uh, at the and during the barry odom years um so you know those are what sticks out in my memory there were some pretty amazing colleagues I worked with at the Trib. Um, obviously, like you mentioned, uh, there's yourself, Eric, and then there's also uh, my colleague, Cam, who I hosted the, pod the podcast with, um, Hunter Dyke, the, the photographer there, and everybody who's there now, uh, uh, you know, I, I worked with some of the people who are currently there, and yeah, there's uh, a lot of people that I enjoyed spending time with. Uh, at the trip too so a lot of good memories from columbia gotcha how has it kind of how's just life been since i guess what the spring of 19 kind of transitioning into near my hometown of washington dc um and just kind of is it you've gone back into the fan aspect of mizzou or are you still kind of looking at it from a reporter's perspective even kind of almost two years after you left the beat i i you know <laughs> my uh, biography since I left is probably not the most fascinating. I took a job at a nonprofit in DC and worked there for a while. And um, so I got out of, you know, the sports realm and kind of immediately took to uh, re reverting back to a fan's perspective on, on everything. Um, you know, the, that first year after I, left Mizzou football, I kind of had a little bit of a journalist perspective on it in terms of, you know, the players who were there and uh, kind of understanding their backstory and some of the 
you know, rationale behind decisions that were made and, you know, players that were recruited for a certain reason. And, you know, as a journalist, you have an understanding of that. And I mean, even to this point, a lot of um, well-informed fans have that perspective, but, you know, so that, that initial period, um, I, I had a little bit of that background knowledge, but it's been almost two years now. I've been completely separated from the program, um, not covering it and watching it from a thousand miles away. And, you know, a lot of the players on the football team this year, um, you know, I've never met before, never talked to, don't know, uh, you know, the don't know anything about them besides what's reported publicly. And, um you know, from it's very much a fan's perspective there, and I watch it, take it in as a fan, as and as an alumni more than a, a former reporter, I would say. Uh, but I think that reporting, you know, that time reporting on the team does make it difficult to ever go back to the way it used to be. You still have that journalistic mindset and kind of those feelings of um, maybe a little bit of emotional detachment that you know separated. I guess I kind of mark as a delineation between when I was a student and I would get so invested in zoo football and basketball games and would live and die with the team. I still enjoy watching them. I still enjoy watching Mizzou football, basketball, and, and keeping up with Mizzou sports, but I definitely don't have that same level of emotional attachment with them that I did when I was a student there. So that would be kind of how things have changed. But um, uh, Washington has been uh, fun. It's been a, a historic stretch in this town of late uh so there's never a dull moment uh that's for sure sounds good and, and i don't mind for the next question i need to ask you i don't remember actually whether you wrote from the man eater or not but i don't mind if you mention a, a few other outlets and people that are not competition but just a lot of fans see the end product of what the beat is and oh these reporters write this into this but from your perspective what was just the beat like now that you can separate your time there what was it just like just working behind the scenes on the beat to where, you know, to, people saw point A of you, you just, I guess you tweeting and stuff, but point B, what was kind of the in-between and you can shed some light maybe on that for people who don't understand that part of our job? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, there is a lot that goes on behind the scenes, especially if you're really good at what you do. And, you know, there's no doubt there's a lot of journalists out there who, um, are really good and have done the job better than I ever did. But, you know, a lot of that is building relationships and, um, you know, sometimes it's with fellow journalists and uh, sometimes it's with people in the program and sometimes it's just with people outside of the program. Um, that's a really important part of the job and it's, you know, how you gain information um, is, is through mining those contacts and building relationships and um you know being respectful and and checking in with people and uh you know that's such a huge part of of that job as a reporter you have to be in the know on everything all the time and yeah i think um uh, certainly for a lot of journalists you spend a lot of time on social media because it's such a wealth of information from all over the place but um you get the um you get the important information really uh the, the information that makes a difference through conversations you know that's what 
your your uh, that's your bread and butter. I mean, when people are following you on Twitter and reading your stories, they want the information that you're getting out of conversations and people close to the program and within the program. And um, you know, you can't get that on Twitter. So yeah, there's a lot of behind the scenes work that goes into that, and it's not just showing up to press conferences and showing up to games. Um, it's calling people on the phone. It's, uh, you know, showing up, it's sending texts, it's responding at odd hours all the time when things pop up that you aren't expecting or, um, you know, that, <laughs> that happen at inconvenient times in your life and you have to respond to them anyway. Um, it's, it's not always an easy profession, but I think everybody can agree that it is rewarding in other ways. It's, you know, you always remember those games that you show up to that end up being special. You remember the conversations you have that lead to great stories. Um, you know, I remember one of one of the favorite stories that I did, um, one of my own favorite stories from my time on the beat was talking with Cale Garrett about the time he, he went to the Grand Canyon and hiked it by himself. And that just spun out of a conversation we had one day after football practice. And it wasn't really anything special about it. He kind of brought it up and it was like, hey, Cale, can you tell us a little bit more about that? And a lot of people were interested and um, it was great. It was just a really cool experience that he had, and he was willing to share some pretty cool details about it, and it made for a great story. So, you know, that's how that stuff works a lot of the time. And, um, you know, it, yeah, it's it's not all on Twitter and and what happens, you know, just uh, behind a computer screen. There's a there's a very strong human element to all of that. Sounds good. Uh, kind of looking back now in your time in Columbia again, and thank you for kind of diving into all this, Danny. But um, just you mentioned the Marcus Denman game. You mentioned the Kevin Purrier game. What other big moments kind of stand out to you just as a whole? I mean, I can I can think of some during your times on the beat. Obviously, basketball, maybe not. But at least in 17, 18 football, there were a couple moments there. But just in, in times, I guess your move-in date, freshman year to moving to D.C., what were some of the, the highlights on the beat for you? Um, yeah, so, you know, I guess going back from from the time I was a student all the way until the time I left, um, yeah, like, like I mentioned before, that 2012 basketball game against Kansas is one of the most memorable sporting events I've ever been to, ever seen as a fan. Um, it's the last time that Mizzou played Kansas in Columbia. Um, you know, that rivalry goes back 100 years. It's one of the most famous rivalries, I guess, was. You can talk about it in the past tense now, but was one of the most famous rivalries um, in the country and just getting to experience it at, a, at that sort of level where it was a national game uh, was incredible. And, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why this year has been so fun to, to watch Mizzou basketball from afar um, is because it's been such a long time. I mean, being ranked in the top 15, a top 20 now in the country and um, you have a senior team and uh, you know, they've kind of grown up around each other, which isn't something you've seen a lot of Mizzou basketball teams do recently. You have senior leadership. Um, you have, you know, a coach who's really easy to root for and Conzo Martin. And, you know, it's just been a real, I, for me, as somebody who's, you know, followed the program since I was a student there and as a journalist, as an alumni and everything, former journalist and an alumni, it's just really cool to see Mizzou basketball back at that level of competitiveness because it brings back 
a lot of great memories of, of Mizzou, um, you know, excellence, but then also it's a new generation doing it. There were, there were some pretty huge moments. I mean, the entire 2015 football season was historic in a lot of ways. Um, not all of them for the better, but certainly historic and uh, had huge impacts for Mizzou, you know, the entire university, but also the football program and the athletics department for years after the fact. Um, those were some, some crazy times to be a part of. And uh, I was actually on the high school beat while all that was happening um, and didn't really write a whole lot about that situation. But my boss at the time, Joe Wall Jasper, um, the Mizzou basketball writer, Steve Walentic, and the football writer, Dave Morrison. I mean, those guys were working 80 hour weeks. They were staking out University Hall, trying to get quotes from the university president, from the chancellor, Arbo and Lofton. I mean, it was just chaos at the time. You know, it, nobody knew if the football team was going to boycott the game. Um, at the time, people didn't, I mean, it was kind of a sports story in that it was the football team wrapped up in it and Gary Pinkle and, um, who, you know, there's the famous tweet where, um, you know, from Gary Pinkle's account that said, we stand with the team who was going to boycott the game until the president left the, the university. And so it was a really not a sports story that ended up in the sports section. And so you had sports reporters out there reporting on this enormous story that had news implications all across Missouri and, and the country. Um, so just a, an incredible time to be a part of. Yeah, I can remember Joe Wall Jasper literally sitting outside University Hall into the wee hours of the morning waiting for uh, Tim Wolf to come out for a quote and Steve Valentic doing the same thing. And um, those were those were wild times that on a maybe more of a brighter note. Uh, another game that comes to mind was going down to Florida, watching uh, Drew Locke and Barry Odom win at the Swamp against a nationally ranked Florida team. That might have been the high point of Barry Odom's time and Drew Locke's time at Mizzou. I don't know if it ever got any better than that. That was a um, big win for, for both of them. And the picture that Hunter Dyke got at the end of the game of uh, Barry Odom hugging his kid, you know, such an important win for him. And, um, you know, just in terms of trying to establish some some positive energy and, and you know, at the time there was it, it, people thought maybe this is, you know, what Barry Odom needed to to really establish himself as a long term zoo coach. And it didn't work out that way. But, uh, you know, it's still a really significant game for Mizzou football. So, yeah, those are some of the things that come up. There's a lot more, but those are what comes to mind. Gotcha. Yeah, just uh, thinking from the outside perspective, because I was the high. Um, I agree with you now, having having covered him for a year and now covering Drinkwitz. Yeah, that was definitely the high point. I can't think of. That was still his only ranked win as, as in his entire tenure at Mizzou. So yeah, I would have to agree with you there. Kind of going away from the Mizzou part of things, and I don't want you to you know say anything that might be controversial. But when you come back to Columbia, where where's your food spot? Where are you going? Oh yeah, um, gosh. My the one of the things I still crave to this day um, is smoked rings from D Rose and actually uh, watching I can't remember who they were playing but watching Mizzou a Mizzou basketball game earlier this year I was here in Washington and Tom Hart who is a Columbia native uh, knows the town well and the food scene 
um, was on the call that night and mentioned D Rose smoked wings. I think John Sunvold said that his, uh, he was going to have some that night. And, you know, it was like, Oh my God, D Rose smoked wings sound like the best thing in the world right now. Um, so, you know, hearing Tom Hart say that recently has, uh, definitely sparked some cravings for some smoked wings. And I don't know if I'll ever, uh, actually, you know, shake that. I think it'll always be there. Like smoked, smoked wings from D Rose will always sound good. And no matter the situation, even if I've just ate, it might be Thanksgiving night at 7 PM on the verge of a food coma. Um, I think I'd be down for some D Rose smoked wings. So that's the, that's, that's my choice for that controversial question. And that, that, that's, uh, you answered it with actually a very, very nonchalant, I guess, in those terms answer. You, you didn't say Shakespeare's. You didn't say, a, you didn't say like a bar. You didn't say Trops is the place of choice. You didn't say that. <laughs> like, uh, Not to say that I don't have an appreciation for those places. I no. <laughs> have to say that uh, in my time in Columbia, I spent more time there uh, than at any uh, fine dining establishment. So we have to know where our priorities lie. But, um, you know, the good thing about uh, Shakespeare's, I mean, Shakespeare's pizza, obviously, is special. And I think even that's kind of become controversial. I've talked to some people who aren't big fans of Shakespeare's pizza, which I find to be blasphemous. But um, good thing about, you know, the, the drinks they serve at Shakespeare's is you can find uh, those in a lot of places. So uh, that's one nice thing is, you, you know, I don't have the same craving for, uh, you know, uh, draft beer uh, because I can I can get that out here. But the smoked wings are a little bit tougher to find. Very true. I guess one final question for you, Danny, and thank you for uh, just spending the time with us. I know I don't know how busy you are these days in D.C., but you're obviously nice enough to take the time with us here. One final question would kind of be just now that you've kind of gone back into the fans perspective, what, what are your, if you have any thoughts on, you gave it from Mizzou basketball, but just someone who never covered drink with someone who didn't cover the program now that it kind of seems like they might have some momentum post Barry Odom. Yeah, it was, uh, definitely a, uh, I mean, an exciting season to watch from afar. Um, the win over LSU, you know, the way LSU played the rest of the season maybe dimmed the star a little bit, but still beating the defending national champion um, first year for Drinkwitz. They were ranked at the time. Nobody, you know, I think nobody really knew how good LSU was or foresaw the season that they ended up having, you know, that nobody foresaw that taking place at that moment when Mizzou won the game. It was a pretty amazing victory. It was really, you know, fun to watch and be a part of a hell of a game with the goal line stand at the end. Um, you know, it was a proud day to be a Mizzou fan and to watch the team and uh, follow the team that day. And, and there were other moments like that throughout the year. Um, you know, they ended up in the top 25 in the college football rankings at, a, at one point. Um, the win over Arkansas was an instant classic. Uh, and it's, you know, it's kind of exciting to see that become an actual rivalry. So few of those games have been competitive. It's really hindered any chance of that becoming an actual rivalry. I mean, it was an uphill battle to start with. That was kind of a manufactured thing, Mizzou and Arkansas. But those end up being competitive games if there are any games coming up in the future that resemble the one that happened in December 
then that will become a rivalry because those, you know, the, just the competitiveness will make it so. So that was an amazing game to watch and be a part of. And, um, you know, it just those games make it really fun to be a fan. It was obviously, I think a lot of people would agree it was disheartening that the season ended with the loss to Mississippi State the way it did. Um, it's kind of everybody was riding a high and, um, you know, wow, this this is, this is going in a great direction. And um, then just a real gut punch to end the season and then no bowl game, which uh, um, is understandable considering COVID. But at the same time, you know, might have been a chance to maybe gain back some of that positive momentum and energy going into next season. So it's optimistic, I think, is the feeling as as a fan and I think a lot of people would feel the same um, he's shown that he can recruit pretty effectively I know there's a, a big announcement coming today or if it has I'm not sure if it's already happened just about a, a, a recruit that Mizzou has their eyes on you obviously know more about it than me but um, yeah it's it's uh, there, there is a lot to look forward to. I think for Mizzou football, there was some positive signs. There's, it's not quite at the level that I think you know a lot of fans hope that it could get to. I think you know when you talk about where you want Mizzou to be, you want them to be competing for a division title once every five or six years or somewhere like that. You want the possibility of a SEC championship game to be on the table, and they are not there now just because the sec east is so good uh with georgia and florida so maybe at, at a certain point they can get to that level and compete but it is exciting uh, elijah drinkwitz has shown that there's uh some stuff to be excited about this year i guess now they have to figure out what they're going to do about a defensive coordinator but um you know in the meantime there's uh there's a lot to, to look forward to all right, that was Danny Jones, former Mizzou beat reporter here at the Tribune. Definitely great to catch up with you, man, and I will talk to you soon. Thank you. All right, Eric. Thanks for having me on. We would like to thank our sponsors for the Mizzou Sports Podcast, University of Missouri Healthcare. University of Missouri Healthcare is proud to be the official sponsor of MU Athletics. Blue Events. Let Blue create your perfect event. Their passion for food, service, and presentation ensures that you will have a seamless and memorable event, no matter the size. They will work with you to bring your vision to life. Phyllis Nichols, State Farm Insurance. There when things go wrong, here to help life go right. And now back to our podcast. And thank you once again to Danny for joining us on the Mizzou Sports Podcast. Definitely a great throwback Wednesday we had today on the show. But without further ado... Follow Mizzou Football with the Tribune's Tiger Extra newsletter. Sign up at ColumbiaTribune.com slash Tiger Extra for stories, galleries, and podcasts in your inbox every Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Mizzou Sports Podcast is brought to you by Zaxby's, the home of handmade-to-order chicken, salads, and more than a dozen mild-to-wild sauces. Stop at your neighborhood Zaxby's today. And the Columbia location of Zaxby's is where, Langston? 104 Cinnamon Hill Lane. That is correct. I actually had Zaxby's last week. Uh, last Friday, actually in the middle of covering Mizzou wrestling, I went there and then came back. It was I got the General So's wings, brand new, nice little plug. Boom, 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 boom. They, they were, they were, they were, they were pretty good. They weren't the best thing I've ever had because I know Danny said his favorite place in Eaton, Columbia was D Rose, and I completely support that talk. But uh, it, it was, it was very good with complete meal. You get the, you get the fries, and you get still the Texas toast. It, it, it was very much well worth the eight bucks I spent. I can tell you that. There we go. We'll just take out the part where you said it was, it was all right.
it, it, Zaxby's it was it was amazing, mind blowing. Couldn't believe how good the chicken was. It wasn't well. Here, maybe maybe here's the thing. It wasn't glistening like your general so's Chinese food chicken. Maybe they need to op- open the fat content a little. <laughs> no, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. It wasn't just glistening with MSG to galore. I, and I, I didn't feel awful after eating it. How about that? There we go. Yeah, <laughs> like I usually do with Chinese food. Okay, going going back to. Uh, just Mizzou basketball now. Uh, they are still slated to play at Texas A&M on Saturday. Um, it's nice to have sports back, um, at least in the Mizzou realm, to cover, not find things to write about. Coming out of the restart here, what would you want to see from Mizzou men's basketball, Langston? It's weird because, you know, you almost uh, obviously want them to play their games as scheduled, but you kind of wanted them to get right back on the court after that Mississippi State loss and kind of exercise those demons of that second half collapse. So I, it's going to be a little bit different seeing them now nearly, you know, a week later, or excuse me, it's going to be over a week later. Um, than when we recorded when they play on Saturday. So it's really just seeing them, have they taken this time? I know they haven't practiced, but, you know, mentally gotten over that hurdle of, okay, you dropped that Mississippi State game. Let's move forward. This is still a good team. This is still a competent team. Missouri is better than what they showed in the second half against the Bulldogs. I I, I agree. And I think one thing that kind of has to change is now, well, that was so out of character for this team. How do you prevent? make sure it prevents – happening again and so i wrote a story about that for today's tribune it's just it's so out of character like why did this happen in the first place even to begin with is it just the outlier and you have to get it over with better now than in you know march to do it but that's just the kind of the weird part for me is why did this even have to happen in the first place and so how, how have they you know corrected that and obviously because of certain ncaa and hipaa laws begin with we don't know what type of covid infection they had maybe We'll find a tiny bit out more tomorrow when they speak to the media for the first time in nine days tomorrow. We know we're getting Pinson and Tillman, so therefore we know they're fine. Uh, as, of, as of right now, they wouldn't put them out with the media. If they, I think they, if they had just had COVID, they definitely wouldn't do it. Uh, but they're definitely fine now. They wouldn't do it like, hey, you're in quarantine. You can talk to the media. That, that wouldn't happen. So I think going to Texas A&M is not a bad thing. At the end of the day, the SEC is more wide open than it has been in a while, but A&M looked awful last time they played against Tennessee. I'm not sure they played this past week, but I didn't haven't heard anything different about what they're doing. Looking at the roster, it's a good matchup for Missouri. I think if there's a game to kind of return to you'd want right now, Vanderbilt at home or on the road against Texas A&M is kind of where I think you'd want one of those two matchups. Yeah, definitely. It's a game that Missouri should win. And and what's, I wouldn't say frightening, but yeah, no, let's go with that. What could be frightening about the game on Saturday is if Missouri comes out and they're a little sluggish and they're a little rusty, it's understandable. They didn't practice for nearly a week. And so I think Missouri fans heading into this game, all that you're thinking about is probably that Mississippi State collapse. But you do have to understand they didn't get to practice. There is, It's not going to be some type of, oh, how they played against Illinois, um, you know, a few weeks back. It's it's going to be, it's going to take some time, especially early on in the first half, to, for them to kind of gel and for them to kind of get back in the rhythm of things. I know they're going to practice beginning tomorrow, but I mean, when you miss a week like that, is there's still some type of hangover from that. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Um, but kind of looking now going forward, you know, you get back home next week against at oh no at home against South Carolina who we really don't know anything about. They're, they've been on a COVID pause even longer than Missouri has and then going to Knoxville next Saturday for the next game after that. Missouri is kind of getting right back in it, but one thing I, I think you got to put everything in context and while you expect Missouri maybe to be sluggish, they, they got st- uh, even though they, I think, lost a little bit of the goodwill they had built up throughout the season, 
they're still heavily on the right side of the bubble here. They're a five seed according to Joe Lenardi in the latest projection. It's all high major teams and teams who are locks almost and one through 11. So there's two dozen spots Missouri still has to drop and probably 16 they had a drop before they're clearly on the bubble. So keep those things in mind as you go forward. Missouri did so much right before they started conference play to where they're going to have to have a disastrous, even still at this point, a disastrous rest of the conference season to not make the NCAA tournament at this point. You really would have to think that way. You know, Danny kind of talked about how much this team is really fun, and I think you just don't lose those things regardless of COVID and regardless of a bad half. No, I, I completely agree. So even if they do drop this game against Texas A&M, it's not time to you know slam um, the the alarm and, and to freak freak out. But it would be concerning. You know, you just want to see them kind of move past mentally and physically that Mississippi State loss. And I think Missouri will get that done and it will take care of things against Texas A&M and, and South Carolina. And then we have the you know a top twenty five matchup against Tennessee. Very cool. We'll bring you updates with that. And Missouri women's basketball returning to the court as well. Nothing new on the defensive coordinator front, as we already talked about. Uh, a lot of the commits are starting to move in now, but there's no new spring football news to bring you quite yet. So I'll leave you with this, Langston. Your thoughts on James Harden? For those, for those who don't know, while I was recording with Danny, not, Danny, not only did the impeachment news broke, but like five minutes later james harden going to brooklyn the brooklyn nets broke i know you're a big nba fan what are your thoughts it is i'm pro player empowerment um i'm never going to be pro billionaire but it it's really sad to see a player um like james harden after eight years in houston quit on a franchise quit on his teammates quit on the front office quit on the coach and that's what he did last night when he said they're just not good enough and the situation could be fixed and you you force you know the organization houston rockets to trade you to brooklyn and it 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 just sucks to see how it all ends when i think there really were some high moments uh during james harden's tenure in houston you know they're a terrible game seven away from going to the finals and beating the warriors which we tout as you know the greatest basketball team one of the greatest basketball teams ever um so it's sad to see that but i cannot wait to see the dysfunction um with the nets Kyrie James Harden KD it won't work and I can't wait to watch it blow up and I, I tweeted out right after it's like Kyrie Irving's gonna love being the third option I, I know he's not with the team now and he's doing zoom meetings or whatever uh, family reasons personal reasons he's not there but when he gets back I, I can't wait to see <laughs> see how it's gonna you know go wrong because with Kyrie Irving if it can't go wrong it will go wrong here was here was my thought at, at the end of the day I still don't know if they win the east I don't I like and even if they get there they still got to go through LeBron in the West. Like I'm just like I mean this is a good trade for your I guess all or nothing now because you trade away so many picks to Houston. At the end of the day, I mean Houston got Victor Oladipo, Tyrese Maxey and like a bajillion picks. They're fine. You want to give away James Harden for that? I'd do that. The only thing now that I'm kind of expecting is what if the Nets trade uh Kyrie Irving to the Wizards for Russell Westbrook? <laughs> <laughs> You're ready to get rid of, uh, get rid of Westbrook already? I'm, I'm not ready to get rid of him. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, that's the next thing I'm expecting. I, I, just knowing the NBA, and you just reform that trio. I'm I, just waiting for that. What I'll say is, whatever NBA team 
takes on Kyrie next because now that James is there, there's no way Kyrie can coexist with those three. I, I, it just you know Kyrie doesn't change. He is who he is. I think he's a weird dude, and I think he finds ways to make situations worse than they actually are. And if you're an NBA franchise, just stay stay away. I felt the same way about Russell Westbrook and. And uh, I had to deal with the rumors of the Magic uh, wanting to trade for him for years now. I want them to stay as far as they possibly can away from Kyrie. It's just one of those dudes that he he's a he's a locker room cancer, and I and I and I don't say that lightly. Fair enough, but I I got to deal with Westbrook, Beal, and I I love Den, Denny Denny Avdi on the Wizards now. But anyway, but going back to the Mizzou pick, you know, I think I actually think the Nuggets not, might not be a bad landing spot for Kyrie, even though they got. Jamal Murray and a couple other players, and I think they got and a couple natural point guards there. Porter, Jokic, Irving. Um, that's a no. no. He's, he's pausing. That's a no. That's a no. Just in Langston, uh, that's Langston's way that's of communicating. A, uh, please keep Jokic, who I think is incredible. I love watching him. Keep him as far as away from Kyrie, and you know, hopefully one day. And I, I, I don't want this to sound like a dig, but maybe MPJ will learn how to uh, rotate on defense. Um, that's how I feel about the Nuggets. Fair enough. Well, on this week's Mizzou Source podcast, anything else Mizzou-wise you want to talk about before we get going? I'm, I'm excited to see both teams back on the court, on the women's side and the men's side, back to be able to watch some um, MU basketball. Sounds good. For Langston Newsom, I've been Eric Blum. Thank you for listening to this week's Mizzou Sports podcast, and we'll see you next time. going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.